Welcome back to Use Your Words Podcast. I'm your host, Sierra Jordan. Um, I know you're probably wondering, like, oh, are we getting two episodes in one week? Up, oh, you are. You are getting two episodes in one week. <laughs> but no, I just wanted to um, take a moment to apologize to my listeners. I've I know my schedule's off, so it's kind of hard to follow, but I promise to get back on track in October um, because we, um, our first season is coming to a close, so we have a lot of exciting things coming to use your words in the next coming week, so do stay tuned. Um, but yeah, we I just had a lot, of, a lot going on these past few weeks. Um, in fact, I had a friend who suddenly passed. And it's not been easy um, to digest, to say the least. So I've been trying to give myself a little bit of grace um, and and time to process everything that's happened. So, yeah, yeah, that just, you know, it's <laughs> so important to take time out for you because um, life is happening around these parts. I don't know what's going on with you guys, but I know life is happening here. Um and so, yeah, I had to take a step back and kind of reevaluate some things. So, anywho, I am back. I had to push through. Uh, September has been an exciting month. It's um, Life Insurance Awareness Month, and it's also Suicide Prevention Month. And I dare not let se- September go past uh, without talking about something that is near and dear to me. Um, in fact, a few colleagues and I just recently um, just completed our nonprofit application for a um, suicide prevention program geared towards adolescents. We have not yet launched, um, but we will be launching in the next coming week. So do stay tuned um, about all the exciting news um, I have for the nonprofit. And, and I'm happy. I'm, I'm so excited to share that with you. But on tonight, I have the pleasure, privilege, and honor to be able to talk with um, a young lady from Killing, North Carolina, my hometown. Her name is Nicole Watson. She's a powerhouse, um, awesome woman of God. But most importantly, um, Nicole has just a profound story. Um, She is a suicide prevention solutionist and a proud survivor of suicide. Um, She's made, she's had over 22 suicide attempts. And I just, I was just amazed by reading her story and felt, you know, this, this lady is special. Um, There's a lot of things God wanted to use her for, and I'm so grateful that she is still here with us to be able to share her journey, but most importantly, to be able to help those that are struggling with suicidal ideation and depression and bullying and those sorts of things. Um, She's often known by, a lot of people call her the life snatcher because of her holistic approach Um, to suicide um, prevention. And um, she's got a long, she has a long, long long resume here. (laughs) She does a lot of different things. So it is certainly not my story to share. I will let her share her story in a few minutes, but I'm just honored to be able to have her on tonight um, to share my platform with her tonight. Um, And she share her journey with all of us. So we're going to talk a little bit about what are some signs and symptoms? 
what resources are available, um, <clears throat> how to support individuals that may be experiencing suicidal ideation, um, that may have had suicide attempts were not successful, um, how to support those friends and family members whenever they transition back to their environments, what are some things that um, you should say, what are some things that are not helpful, and that sort of thing. But most importantly, being able to pull out those resources, um, because there are a lot of times people get caught up in their thoughts and, and emotions and don't necessarily know how to access that additional support and resources to prevent suicide. Suicide is preventable with proper resources and proper interventions in a timely manner. So I am super grateful and honored to be able to work with her on tonight and um, happy for her to share her journey through going through middle school and dealing with different things such as bullying, not feeling like she was worthy enough and not fitting in and that sort of thing. So I hope this um, episode is um, helpful for someone. And should you have questions, like I've always said, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to help you any way I can. And do stay tuned. We have a lot of exciting things coming to use your words and we're on the um, verge of concluding our first episode so i'm trying not to share too much but um do stay tuned because we got a lot of nuggets dropping we got a we got a lot of guests coming some celebrity guests coming um but yeah i'm super excited and i'm super grateful for all of my listeners and all of my day ones that continue to push me and continue to um, give me their feedback and spend with me from from day one, I, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for tuning in. I hope this episode is a blessing for you. Well, hello. How are you? I am amazing. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I got tickled. I said, you know what? I keep my phone on Do Not Disturb. I got tickled when I was able to call somebody else that keep theirs on there as well. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, um, I kind of wanted you to, I didn't want to give too much introduction about all that you do because you do a lot. (laughs) So I wanted you to kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and kind of tell them a little bit about your story. Okay, so first of all, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. My name is Nicole Watson, and I am a suicide prevention solutionist. I speak, I teach, I consult, I train in the area of suicide prevention. And my main work in my life, in this season of my life, is working with high-impact leaders. So I teach high-impact leaders how to integrate life-saving strategies into their daily work. I approach suicide and suicide prevention from a non-traditional standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um even though I wholeheartedly believe in therapy, I wholeheartedly believe in mental health care, I also understand that a lot of mental health issues and challenges are exacerbated by a lack of resources. And so sometimes if you can get people the resources that they need, it automatically improves their mental health. Um, And so I really, you know, hit it from 
a different area. Mm -hmm. Um, So as far as my story, I have attempted suicide over 22 times um, in my life. I'm under 40, so that's a lot of times. Um, I, you know, I grew up and I felt like I never really fit in anywhere. I felt like I was always less than other people. And so I really struggled with my identity. I struggled with my purpose. I struggled with feeling like I had a reason, you know, to exist and to live on this earth. And so especially in my middle school, high school, early adult years, I really struggled. I didn't, I didn't want to be alive. And you know, a lot of times when people tell their story, they have like this magical moment where it's like, I had an epiphany and my life changed, but that's not what happened for me. For me, it was incremental decisions that I would make. Like today, I'm not going to feel bad about the way that I look. And today, I'm not going to feel bad about the way I talk. And today, I'm not going to care if people don't like me or accept me. And, you know, building on those little decisions um, helped me to be strong enough to tell my story. Um, One day in 2014, I told my story. My story went viral, and that's how I became the life-saving superstar, if you will, that I am today. Awesome. Such a powerful testimony. And, you know, just looking back, when... When did it start when you started struggling more so with like thoughts of suicide, thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself and leading up to the attempts? So by my definition, a lot of people say, you know, suicidal ideation is when you say, I want to kill myself. But I didn't start at I want to kill myself. I started with, God, please don't wake me up in the morning. I don't want to be alive. I don't want to be here. And I would say that started when I was maybe in the fourth or fifth grade. But it was so vague and it was so, like, fleeting, like little fleeting thoughts that I was able to just brush it off. But middle school, seventh grade, um, and definitely eighth grade, Mm-hmm. That was when I really started, you know, ideating. That's when I started my first attempts and things like that. I didn't do a lot of self-harm because I'm an all or nothing type person. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to either do it or I'm not. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in middle school is with especially eighth grade. Eighth grade, I know that there's a God and I know that God gives grace because only the grace of God could have gotten me out of the eighth grade. So that is when, like, my major, major, major attempting started. And so so at that particular moment, what do you remember? Because, you know, that's a vital point for a lot of kids um, now, especially dealing with peer the peer pressure, trying to fit in, bullying, um, just all different types of issues. What do you remember what was going on at that particular moment um, when you started having those thoughts and feelings? Yeah, so funny story. So many of the people who caused the trauma um, that I went through in middle school are my social media friends. So there's a high probability that they were here this, and that is okay. But I 
was bullied so bad from the fourth grade up until maybe high school. Mm-hmm. But in middle school, I was always the scapegoat. So there would be arguments and, and issues. You know how it is. I'm going to fight you when we get off the bus. I'm going to fight you in the gym. I'm going to fight, you know, all of that. And it would be like all of this drama. Mm-hmm. And my name would always get put in it some kind of way. And at the end of the day, even if I didn't start it, it would always be me. It would always be something I did or, you know, whatever. And so um, I went through that. I was bullied, you know, for the way that I look. I spent a lot of time trying to buy people's friendship and people's love and you know, there are certain characteristics that cause you to be a target mm-hmm. for people to bully, for people to be abusive towards you, you know. And so I was highly and greatly misunderstood because of my own personal things that I had going on that I did not have the language for. So a lot of people thought I was weird. They thought I was, you know, whatever they thought. And so I just wasn't accepted. You know, I didn't look like the other girls. Um I was raised by my grandmother, so, you know, she was older. Her sense of of style and fashion was different, you know, so I didn't wear, like, all the shoes and the stuff that other people, you know, wore. And so I went through it really bad, you know, and I had a lot of teachers that didn't understand me. There would be a lot of microaggressions. I didn't know that that's what it was, you know, then, but now looking back, I know that a lot of times black girls experience a lot of microaggressions, you know, from teachers who may be of other racial, you know, backgrounds. And so it was just a whole lot of uh, pressure, if you will, and a whole lot of negativity that I just wasn't mentally capable of processing. Mm -hmm. And so... At that particular time and that moment in your life, and I, I, I will talk a little bit about like your upbringing and that sort of thing. How was your, what was your family's response when you shared how you were feeling? I didn't share. So, um, I, there were times when I would get in trouble at school. Um, there was one time when I was in the eighth grade where I had to have like a mental evaluation. So I went to, um, Smithfield, North Carolina, and I went to the mental health, you know, place. I don't know what it was, like a doctor's office type thing. And I sat down and I talked to the lady and I knew, you know, what to say because I'm like, you're not about to lock me up in no insane (laughs) asylum. You know, Mm -hmm. because I'm a kid. I didn't, you know, I'm like, you're not about to lock me up, Miss Mm Ma'am. And so, you know, I answered all the questions. I was like, okay, what should I say? What should I do? I was like, everything's fine. I'm good. You know, sometimes I just act bad because, you know, all of that because you was not about to lock lock me up, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never, to this, like, my grandmother my grandmother passed away in 2010. I never talked to her um, about this. Most of the people in my family, if they know, they know by way of me sharing my story. They don't necessarily know by me sitting down and directly sharing with them. Um, my grandmother always supported me, you know, in every walk of, of, of life that I went through in every season and all of that. But there were a lot of things I just did not share just because I knew, and this is no shade to my grandmother. I love her. 
you know, God rest her soul and everybody in my family. But I grew up in a time where there were things that we just did not speak of. There Mm -hmm. were things that I never heard talked about. And so I wasn't going to be the first one to break the ice and nail myself to the cross and make myself, you know, a sacrifice to, to admit that these things were happening to me. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons that I had so many attempts is because I chose um, to keep all of that bottled up because I did not feel that, and I didn't have the language for this then, you know what I'm saying? I was just scared. Like, I didn't want to get sent away. I didn't want and I'm not saying that they would have done that. I, I just, in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to get sent away. I don't want to go to the crazy house, you know, in my child-like, you know, language. And so I just kept stuff to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now... <clears throat> that and that happens with you know that's that happens a lot frequent with a lot of different you know kids now especially in that around that age looking back what do you wish you you could have done differently or what different kind of what kind of approaches do you think you sh- you could have taken so looking back for me i don't know that there was necessarily if if anything i wish that i had had more knowledge Mm -hmm. i wish that i had known that there are some things that you go through that are just a part of childhood that are just a part of life middle school is hard for a lot of people Mm -hmm. so if middle school is hard for you that does not necessarily mean that you're a horrible person or that there is something wrong with you it means that middle school is hard That's just what it means. And so I wish that I had had the knowledge so that I wouldn't have internalized so many things and thought that they were specific to me or a deficit or a fault that I had when in all actuality, it was just life. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that, that people go through. When you're a certain age, you have to try to find yourself. When you go through, you know, certain phases of your life, your hormones act crazy. Mm -hmm. But because I did not have that overarching knowledge and that normalization of it all, I internalized it and felt like it was something wrong with me when it was really just life. Now, there were some things that were overboard, like people bullying me and all of that. But even in that, if I had had the knowledge, and this is something that my grandma used to say to me that I didn't understand in the moment, she would always say to me, people have to think a lot of you to try to make you feel bad about yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if they felt bad about you, they wouldn't waste their time trying to make you feel bad because they would feel bad about you and they, they you wouldn't be significant to them. Right. So anytime somebody spends energy, spends time, spends their words to try to make you feel bad, it's because they think highly of you. They think you're in a high position. Mm-hmm. I understand that now. And I'm almost 39. I'll be 39 tomorrow. Happy birthday to me. Well, happy but, birthday. <laughs> thank you. But at the time, mentally, I didn't understand that. Because I'm like, there has to be something wrong with me. Because they don't pick on anybody else. So it's got to be me, you know. And so I just wish I'd had more more knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so, so now, you know, being able to 
look back, you know, you've had so many different attempts, different stages in your life as well. Um, what do you think was a saving grace for you? My faith in God, mm-hmm. number one. Um, because one thing that I know, like I know this, God does not leave us, like period. Mm-hmm. Even in, you know, and this is my faith. I ain't saying it's got to be nobody else's faith. This is my faith. But I believe that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how low you get, God does not leave. So that helped me. And then the other thing that helped me was music. I have always been musically inclined. I was in the band. I can sing. You know, I play like every instrument in the band except for like the brass. <laughs> um, <laughs> I play everything. All the woodwinds, the 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 marimbas, the the xylophones, like everything. Um, but I would get lost in music. Like music has a way of altering your mental state and raising your vibrations and, you know, building up your energy. So I was able to really find comfort in, um, in music. And I think that in and of itself kind of grounded me because I always had God. I knew God wasn't going anywhere and you can always find music. There's always a school back then. There was always a CD that I could play. There was always, you know, we had 106 in Park. We had, you know, Video Soul and all the stuff back then. But, yeah, so music and the constant companionship of God and the Word and all of that is what brought me to the point that I was able to emerge as the suicide prevention person mm-hmm. that I am. And so transitioning into that stage now did you ever have any attempts during that stage of helping others so no i did not have any attempts i had times where i almost attempted okay okay like i went to the bridge but i didn't jump off Mm -hmm. i got the bottle of pills but i didn't take them I got in my car to drive into a building, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. So in my times of helping people, um, I have still very much been evolving. I have still been healing. And the thing that people do not tell you about healing is that when you start to heal, you uncover everything that you need to heal from. Mm -hmm. And that is why so many people don't want to start the healing journey. Because it's like when you go to the doctor and they open you up, now they see everything. So you were here for your shoulder, but now we open you up and there's something wrong with your stomach too and your lungs and your kidneys. And so we can't just close you up with all this stuff wrong with you. We now have to take the time to address everything that we see. And so I went through a phase where it it got real. And I was like, you know, it hurts more to heal than it does to be broken mm-hmm. because initially it does, you know? And so I didn't, I didn't have any attempts. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, but it, it was, it was difficult. I almost did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, and you know, that's, that's good that you're vulnerable enough to share that. Cause you know, sometimes 
when we are helping others, that sometimes can transfer over to us, um, carrying the weight of others and trying to help them through their, their things as well can be a bit much to carry sometimes. So that's why I asked that question. Um, so talking a little bit about your nonprofit, not on my watch, what exactly, um, what, tell us a little bit about what you do with your nonprofit and if you can kind of go into, to a little bit about your books as well. Okay. So, um, my nonprofit is called Not On My Watch. As you said, I focus on suicide prevention, anti-bullying and social advocacy. Um, so I have a nonprofit side and a for-profit side. In my nonprofit side, I focus more on service-oriented things. Like each year, I do a thing called This Christmas where I find um, a child or a set of children who have lost a parent close to the holidays. And it doesn't have to be, you know, suicide-related, but just somebody who's lost a parent. Mm-hmm. And we give them Christmas gifts and all of that. Um, with my nonprofit, I do a lot of teaching like for youth, um, teenagers, young adults, and things like that, just to, you know, share about bullying and about suicide and about speaking up, um, you know, and things like that. So on that side of my life, um, I devote a lot of hours in serving and teaching and handing out materials and dropping off, you know, especially during like Halloween, I'll drop off like hundreds of bags with like candy and pencils and don't be a bully and, you know, all of that kind of stuff just to kind of add to what is already being passed out. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do stuff like that. I do service projects, you know, that type of thing. And um, my nonprofit is very dear to me because not on my watch was like the first iteration of me being a lifesaver. And I'm like, you're not going to die. Like I've talked over 2000 people out of suicide in the 11 years that I've been doing this. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's not a game, you know, to me. Um, So that's that. As far as my books are concerned, I have a book called I Speak Life, a 30 day journey from suicidal ideation to victorious living. It is a devotional. Um, It is, you know, biblically based, like it has scriptures in it, whatever. Um, I wrote that book because when you are suicidal, you need a constant companion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's cool that you go to therapy, but you can't go to therapy every day. Mm-hmm. It's cool that you talk to your friends, but you can't talk to your friends every day because they're going to get tired of hearing about your problems. Mm-hmm. I'm just keeping it real. Mm-hmm. And so my book is something that you can wake up to every morning and you know, get a message that is targeted to a particular issue, a particular situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a good dose of word, a nice good story, you get an affirmation, and you're on your way. And so I have that book. I have the Good Morning Young Butterfly series, which is my book series for teens and tweens. Um, it covers different issues like self-esteem, self-love, self-control, forgiveness, influence, like all all the types of things that young people deal with mm-hmm. that could cause them to have mental struggles and um, suicidal ideation and all of that. So I have, a, I have like a series of 13 books called Good Morning Young Butterfly 
same principle. You open it up, you pick a you pick a page, you do what that page says. So I have that, and then professionally, on my corporate side um, of my for profit business, I have a book called The Ultimate Suicide Prevention Guide. That was my next and it question. Is a, Come on. <laughs> and um, it is a book that teaches you literally everything you need to know about suicide from like a regular person or a leader, like a pastor or a CEO of a company or a social media influencer or a parent. So regardless of what you, you are, it is the information that I believe every human being on the planet Earth needs to know about suicide because studies show that 54% of Americans are affected by suicide loss in some way. Mm -hmm. So if you're not affected, somebody you know is, somebody in your family, somebody at your job. And so, you know, the basic information that I believe everybody should know, I put it in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask because a little bit about the um, the last book that you spoke about, I, I know I see that you... Um, do more of like corporate um, with teaching with that. Now, in terms of like the geriatric population, do you get a lot of um, requests to go in to, to help them? Because that is another population that um, is pretty much, they have a high rate of suicide as well. And I don't think we do a good, you know, speaking from the mental health standpoint, I don't think there's enough resources to tackle those issues, especially with the geriatric population and kind of knowing what those signs and symptoms are so we can be ahead of it. Um, so do you get a lot of requests from just that population? So the numbers, when the numbers came out for 2022, the provisional numbers, it showed that um, the suicides from people ages 65 and up, it increased 8.1%. Mm -hmm. And it went from being 9.6 thousand to 10.4 thousand. Wow. So it went up a considerable amount. Um, for me, when I deal with older adults, I like to deal with the people around them because I believe that if the people around you are aware, it helps you to thrive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like if you are aware, that's great. But if if your care, if your nourishment, if your well-being is dependent upon other people and they are not aware, that diminishes the power of your awareness because you're still dependent upon people who are not aware. If mm -hmm. that makes sense. It does. Um so with older adults, I really like to focus on their families, their care, their caregivers, um, and just the people who are around them. Now there are times, especially during the holidays, where I will like volunteer um, with like the, you know, the little kids that sing and and read stories to the older adults, and I like sponsor a kid or I'll you know get the books or we'll make care packages or something like that just to kind of let them know um, that somebody cares about them. And I specifically try to reach out to people that I know they don't have family. Because, you know, when you get a certain age, all of your friends are gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, There's nobody on the planet Earth who remembers what it was like in your childhood because everybody's gone. 
and your family, you know, may have moved on with their life and they may be somewhere completely different. And so I really try to focus on those people and just be, you know, a a beacon of light and just a source of encouragement for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is important because a lot of times, you know, that loneliness sits in with them. Mm-hmm. They don't have that companionship. And so it, it does lead to, you know, thoughts of suicide and oftentimes attempts um, as well. Now, out of the 2,000 that you served thus far, how many has has returned back to you for guidance and support and that sort of thing? So out of everyone that I have ever talked out of suicide, I would say I talked to at least half of them. Okay. Um, at least once a year. Like, hey, how are you? Are you good? You know, is everything okay? There have been a few of them who, you know, come back to me kind of regularly and update me about what's going on. And you'll see it like on my social media, they'll tag me or whatever. Um, I keep very detailed records of the people that I personally talk to. When I volunteer with like the crisis text line and stuff like that, of course, I don't know who I'm talking to because they're anonymous. So I don't count them. Mm -hmm. But the people that I specifically talk to, um every day you know i try to reach out to them proactively but there are a lot of them that'll come back and be like you know thank you so much and then there are a few of them who regularly talk to me a lot of times when i talk people out of suicide it's in passing like somebody posts on social media i'm about to kill myself and 50 people tag me in the post and i'm like oh my goodness and then i reach out to the person i talk to them they're good right they get out they get over it they 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 figure it out and then i'll on my rotation when i'm on social media i'll type their name in i'll see what's up i'll comment on something i'll inbox them Mm -hmm. so it's just like a a rotating always revolving type relationship that i have with these people Mm -hmm. where i just happen to be this nice stranger that inbox them or help their family find them when they went you know, silent and quiet and stuff like that. And so, though we may not have like an intimate, I sat down and talked to you about your life. I stood in the gap for them in that moment and helped them through, you know, their dark time. Okay. So just kind of identify, it sounds like you identify a lot of your individuals, like from social media and through passing and that sort of thing. Is there a way for people to reach out to you if they feel as though they may need some additional supports? So if you need additional support, um, it depends on what that support is. If you are in a crisis, you need to call or text 988 because I am not always available Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you are in the thick of your crisis, you need to contact 988 You can call them. You can text them. They'll help you. They're nice people. You know, I work with them. I volunteer with them. They're amazing people. Um, and so if you need a, a strategy, if you need to talk through something, if you need training, if you need resources, then you can definitely reach out to me. You can find me on social media at Nicole Watson. You can go to NicoleWatson.com. 
Um, you can reach out to me on my website. You can reach out to me on social media. And I will be able to either give you guidance myself or for sure point you in the right direction. So kind of looking at like signs and symptoms, because a lot of time, you know, and I have, I, you know, with me too, I remember my first experience um, of learning what suicide was. I was, you know, it was, a, it was not necessarily a family secret, but it was something that we didn't talk about. Um, I had an aunt that committed suicide and I know it was very painful for my grandparents but it was just something that we didn't talk about. It was a little taboo, but just in general for families and friends and just people, what are some signs and symptoms that we need to look for to make sure we're helping those that we love and care about? So I'm going to give the signs and symptoms, but I'm going to give a caveat. And the caveat is when you're in relationship with someone you have a unique ability to discern when things about that person are different. Mm -hmm. So when I'm going through the signs and symptoms, I want you to be aware that a lot of this depends on relationship. And that is another reason why I am so big on um, approaching suicide prevention from a more communal and holistic place. Mm -hmm. So it used to be that when people were withdrawn, when people stopped going to social gatherings, when people, you know, whatever like that, that meant that something was going on. Well, now with the economy, there are people who can't afford to go places. There are people who can't afford to go to social gatherings. And so that may be a sign, but it may not. Mm -hmm. You know, it may be that now you used to, you know, be conservative and now you're out here spending all your money like you don't have a care in the world. That could be a sign that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I personally believe, and this is a soapbox that I stand on, anytime you are in relationship with someone and their demeanor changes, their responses change, their behavior changes, you need to check in with them and see what is going on because something is causing them to change. Mm -hmm. But the standard... Standard signs and symptoms. Um, of course, somebody's saying, I want to die. I don't want to be alive. I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm, I'm in so much pain. You know, I'm tired of this. Anytime somebody expresses a sense of exhaustion, you know, and tiredness of life itself, then that is for sure a sign. If someone randomly buys a gun, and they don't like guns, you know, and they just decide that they want one. If somebody starts saying stuff like, well, I finally know what I'm going to do to get over such and such, or, you know, if they allude to it in any way, that's a sign. If someone starts talking about, you know, I'm tired of being a burden to people. I'm tired of being a burden to my family or my friends. Um, if people who normally, you know, are jovial and upbeat, start sleeping all the time um if people start withdrawing from people or feeling isolated or all of a sudden being reckless like you're the best most careful driver in the world and now you're driving 100 miles per hour in a 35 you know those types of changes are signs and even grief like losing somebody really close to you 
anytime somebody loses somebody that they don't think they can live without, whether they exhibit signs or not, you have to stick close to that person as close as that person will allow because some suicide is triggered by prolonged mental illness, but some suicide is situational. Mm-hmm. And so anytime you find someone who is like, you know, I can't live without my daddy and then boom, they don't have their daddy, you know, that's someone that you need to check in with as well. Mm-hmm. And just um, speaking in general, you know, just for individuals that like, even like yourself, that has made attempts that may be coming home after re- a short period of time of recovery and interacting with family and friends, what suggestions would you give um, families, family and friends to how to support that individual? If you don't have anything nice to say, do not say anything at all. Don't, don't say hello. Say, I love you. I care about you. Don't say nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, because people do more harm than good. And it's, it's not necessary. Like, just don't say anything. The other thing is, if you want to support people, you you need to understand what is going on. So you need to to, to not not study like you ain't got to go get no degree in suicide or there's not a degree in suicide, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> but like familiarize yourself. You know that's one of the reasons why I created the Ultimate Suicide Prevention Guide. Mm-hmm. Familiarize yourself with what that person may be experiencing. Familiarize yourself with what you should say and what you should not say. And then the the biggest support that you can be for someone is to be there in the way that they need you to be there for them, not the way you want to be. Mm-hmm. So you may want to take me out to the mall and I may want you to sit in the house with me while I'm on my computer doing this work I have to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I need you to be present for me in the way that I need you to be present for me. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to force me to to be present with you how you want to be present with me you know and i think so many times we mean well you need to get out the house getting out the house may give me social anxiety and it may make me feel worse Mm -hmm. because now i have to muster up the strength to put on clothes to do my hair to to do this to do this to look happy so that people aren't like oh what's wrong with you you need to smile you know and so Meet people where they are. And if you want to nudge them like, hey, you want to do something, that's fine. But don't drag them into doing something that they really don't want to do. And then finally, listen and understand that just because somebody is saying something to you, it doesn't mean that they need advice. It doesn't mean that they want advice. It doesn't mean that they want to hear what you have to say. Hold space for people. Mm-hmm. Meaning I may want to sit for 20 minutes and talk about how horrible I feel about life. And I may not want you to say anything, but I understand. Mm-hmm. I may not want you to say anything. I may not need your encouragement. I may not want your encouragement. And so learning how to hold space for people, I think is the most important thing you can do to support people. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing too, you know, sometimes we are so quick to, you know, interject 
inner yeah into somebody else's journey and just keep mm-hmm. in mind that, that this is their journey and mm-hmm. don't project your feeling your thoughts and feelings into their journey allow them to kind of process what has happened um and then to you know put the necessary supports in place so that they can continue their healing journey as well so I, um, now looking back about um, just talking about family and friends. So we talked a little bit about signs and symptoms. And if a person, say, for instance, is experiencing some suicidal ideation or thoughts of wanting to hurt themselves, where should they start? So for one, for one, for one, you need to start with being honest as honest as you can about how you feel honest with yourself like because a lot of times when people want to kill themselves there's an aspect of their life that they want to end it's not their whole life Mm -hmm. so if you hate being in poverty i don't need you to say i want to kill myself i need you to say i don't want to be in poverty i'm tired of being in poverty being in poverty makes me not want to be alive because it's not you that you want to kill, it's the poverty, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first step that I would say is be honest about where you are and why you're there. Mm-hmm. Once you're honest about what where you are, why you're there, of course, if you need additional support, you call 988, you talk to 988, you text 988, you do all of that. You do all the things to get yourself the support you need. You go to your job, you see if they have an employee assistance program, an EAP. You ask your job, what does your EAP do? What type of benefits can I get? Can I get counseling? What what can I do? You know, and sometimes you have to put the footwork in. Sometimes you have to go and Google, you know, you're having problems um, with grief. You may need to Google like grief therapists in my area or grief counseling or grief support groups or whatever the case may be in my area mm-hmm. you know and then another thing that i always suggest is that you have your support system and a lot of people don't like this answer that i'm about to give but that's not going to stop me from giving it <laughs> i teach in the ultimate suicide prevention guide that you need to go through your phone and everybody that you feel comfortable talking to you need to put a green dot a green circle a green check a green something and everybody that you do not feel comfortable to, the people that trigger you, I mean, comfortable with, the people who trigger you, the people who do the most, who are negative or whatever the case may be, the people who, if you were standing on the bridge and you talk to them, they will make you jump off the bridge, put a red X by their name. <laughs> and on the days that you feel that you cannot make it, if a red X comes across your phone, do not answer. Mm-hmm. If a red X comes across your text messages, do not open it. And then when you get to a better space, a better head space, a better, a better posture, a better mindset, whatever you want to call it, then you can engage those people. Mm-hmm. But until you're in that space, you have to insulate and protect yourself from people who are not saved. And just because somebody is your mama don't mean they're saved. Mm-mm. Just because that's your favorite aunt, Cleo, that don't mean that baby is safe when you want to jump off of a bridge. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to evaluate the people in your life and say, when I am not safe, I cannot be around you. 
When I am not safe, you're the person I run to. And then there's apps. So you can download the Not Okay app. It was founded by two black teenagers. It allows you to put people in your phone. It's like your, you know, trusted contacts. When you're not okay, you go on the app, press a button. It alerts your family members or your friends or whoever you put in there that you are not okay. When you become okay again, you press another button and it tells them that you are okay. And you can work it out like what you want your message to be, what you want them to do and all of that. But when you are well, when you are whole, when you are good, that's when you plan for when you're not well, when you're not whole and when you're not good. Mm-hmm. You know, that that not that is a such a great um suggestion because not even if you're you're dealing with suicide or a suicide ideation a sore I think that's a great boundary to have just in life because mm-hmm. <laughs> let's be honest there are some people that will push you over the edge I had that over hey. the <laughs> I had that over the edge moment today with a friend you know mm-hmm. and I, I think sometimes people don't respect boundaries and those are so important and a lot of times when people do result to suicide that is because they're they're wits in they don't you know and a lot a lot has happened in that time that that moment that you can't reach out to certain people because they may they may have done something and i'm just speaking in general there may have been something that happened where you just don't feel comfortable or they've treated you differently as or something like that so i love that suggestion i might have to do that tonight before i go to bed Period. It's, it's, it's your life is when you start, and you know, you see the picture, and you be like, "Oh, that's so and then that little red X starts scrolling by, and it's like, "Baby, uh-uh. goodbye, mm-hmm. Satan, goodbye." I'm telling you, <laughs> not Holy today, Spirit, Satan. Not today. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I think I think that's a great suggestion. So I certainly do. I have enjoyed um, interviewing you and talking to you tonight, and I certainly wish you okay. well. Um, with all that you do and you've been a blessing to me tonight and just reading your story um, last night just just kind of getting to know I was like wow you know we grew up in the same town but she you have such a powerful testimony and I'm I'm just grateful that you 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 are so brave and you allow yourself to be vulnerable to share that to help others so I I certainly um, look forward to all that you you do in the future and certainly thank you for coming on my platform and and sharing all that you do and um, talking a little bit about, you know, your exp- your area of expertise. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I hope you enjoy your birthday. Thank you. I plan to do that. <laughs> I sure do. 